Good morning. So good to be with you as we worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to now take your Bibles and join with me to, once again, the Psalms two-year study that will be ending most likely Labor Day weekend. And here we find in Psalm 144 a, a song that is part of what we'll call the final, the climactic uh, composition of the Davidic songs. 138 through 145 is the final collection, and it was applied by the people who were returning from exile. And as they did so, you're going to notice not once but twice in this particular psalm the word foreigners mentioned. It's because as they return from exile, they're thinking about what it was like to live in a foreign land in a setting far different than the one that they felt comfortable in, accustomed to. And this is what's happening. They're returning most likely from Babylon. And as they do so, they're thinking about the ways in which they acclimate to their, to their home. They're coming home. I want to read to you from verse 1 down through verse 11. It's written by a warrior, a military strategist, same time an extraordinary musician, David. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him? For the Son of Man, that you think of him. Man is like a breath. His, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth lightning, scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me. And deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. I'm going to explore these verses and more. But first of all, let's look to our Lord together in prayer. And our Father, we thank you now for being our God. 
We thank you for being the sovereign one. You reign supreme. We came into this world sinful by nature, but you had a plan of action. In eternity past, you planned for the second member of the Trinity to go to the cross to die in our place for our sins. And three days later, victory secured, you raised him from the grave. And our Father, this afternoon when the baptisms take place, they're not being saved as they enter into the waters. They are illustrating death and resurrection realities, pointing back to the ultimate reality when Jesus Christ went down and then came up into the grave to be raised again to new life. We thank you for the symbolism that will take place and for the Lucas willingness as a family to open up their home to us. We praise you for what you've done there. We praise you for what you are doing in this congregation, what you've done in prior service, this service, the online gathering, what will be watched in the days to come. We're thanking you, Father, for being the God who is sovereign. So now what we're asking is that once again, you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. Skin our Father, come here to see Jesus, him only. I'm praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Billy Graham had been asked to come to the bedside of General President Eisenhower. They reminisced for a few moments about the significance of all that took place during the days of World War II, D-Day in particular. But before he left, when Billy Graham was told he could only stay for 30 minutes by the medical staff, he pondered the general, still wearing his usual big smile, knowing that he did not have long to live. And then Billy Graham tells us what happened next. <coughs> when the 30 minutes were up, the president asked me to stay longer and said to me, Billy, I want you to tell me once again how I can be sure that my sins are forgiven and that I am going to heaven because I'm at a point of time now where nothing else matters. So I took my Bible and read to him the scriptures and I pointed out that we are not going to go to heaven because of our good works, because of our achievements, and because of what we have gained in life. We're going to heaven totally and completely on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, I told him, he could rest in the comfort that Jesus paid it all. 
And after we prayed, Ike said, Thank you, Billy. I'm prepared. I'm ready. The song that we're exploring this morning has so much to do with the whole reality that you and I are called to be prepared, that we are called to be ready. As we've said in prior times, this world is not a playground. This world is a battleground. And what we have to be able to do is to prepare well for the battle that's before us. And so what I want to do with the verses before us this morning is to draw out each stanza four significant essentials that we spot here that help us to put together what you and I might describe as a battle plan for action to handle the challenges of life that come our way all rooted in the reality of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And the first essential comes out of verses 1 down through verse 4, and we're going to phrase it like this, that in order to prepare well for the battles of life, I want to begin with you by noting, first of all, the perspective that we need to develop. And so you start now in verse 1, and you start where David starts, he starts with the Lord. He will end with the phrase, the Lord. He will bookend the reality that all of life is governed by the Lord. And so he begins with these words, blessed be the Lord. Now again in the Hebrew, Lord is all in uppercase, L-O-R-D, it is Yahweh. This is the covenantal relational name for your sovereign God. And as the covenantal relational God, he desires a relationship with you that comes exclusively through Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and Lord. We need to put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. So you're being prepared in advance for the fact that God desires a relationship with you even through the usage of this name, Yahweh, Lord, uppercase, L-O-R-D. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Now if you've been to Israel, and I know some have in each of these services, you know that this is rocky terrain. Easy to stumble, and as I've mentioned in prior times, there's a hospital well-established that seems to have ankle injuries, foot injuries, from all the various pilgrimages that take place when people come to Israel because they are ill-equipped to handle the rocky soil. David understands the terrain of life, but he understands the one who is sovereign over the terrain of his life, do you? And so now you look out over the soil that you walk, and you're able to say at the very onset in your battle plan for living, blessed be the Lord, my rock. But notice what comes next 
who trains my hands for war. Now, David was a military strategist. He was the general par excellence. And he was the one skilled in battle. And what you and I have to do is to realize we've got to be skilled in the battle of life. We have to prepare beforehand. We've got to equip the next generation to understand, no, this is not a playground. This is a battleground. And so a parent understands this. A grandparent understands this. We understand this. It is God who trains, he says, my hands for war. These were the same hands that were used to play the harp for song and my fingers for battle. And you can imagine as David took the supposed armor that he was to wear, Saul's armor, and at Saul, King Saul's request, David was to put on Saul's armor to fight the battle for God against Goliath. And then he realized something that the armor that Saul would have him wear was not tailor-made for King David. Out of that experience is a life lesson. David would quickly learn that you cannot fight life's battles in Saul's armor. Now, when you and I look around at the way in which people deal with the battles of life, the natural tendency is to try to replicate what they do and do it the same way. But the danger is this. The armor that might fit for that person, fit that person in battle, might not fit you for the battle that you are facing. Look for the principles involved. But make absolutely certain that you equip yourself for the battle that God has laid before you. And trust in him. He's the one who trains the hands for war. My fingers for battle. It's not the souls of this life. And so David now, he's processing. He's learning. And he wants the people to understand we need to be prepared. And that's why General Eisenhower would be able to say to Billy Graham, after they prayed together, thank you, Billy, I'm prepared, I'm ready. He is my steadfast love, in verse 2. The Hebrew word, because your Older Testament is written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is hesed. Carries with the idea of God's loyal love to you his sovereign loving kindness to you, his faithful love for you, that when others around you are seemingly unfaithful, your sovereign God remains faithful, even in the battle of your life. When everybody else flees, God remains. He is my steadfast love, and I want you now to notice all the my. My hands, my fingers, 
He is my steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. And then he pauses as if to say, and he in whom I take refuge. Now David takes responsibility. Who subdues peoples under me? That's God taking responsibility. This is preparation 101. A prior era, long before anybody knew anything about the internet, Gerald von Moltke, maybe one of the world's history's greatest strategists in military warfare. He was in bed when he got news that the French had declared war against Germany. His aide awoke him with the intelligence. History tells us that von Moltke's sole comment before going to sleep again was this. Second pigeonhole on the right, first tier, and the amazed aide found a bundle of papers containing a complete mobilization plan and an outline of the entire campaign that was to be conducted against the French. Everything had been prepared for in advance. What we understand about life is that it requires in many ways a spiritual military strategy Abraham Lincoln approached during the Civil War about whether or not God was involved on the side of the Union. Sir, Lincoln would say, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is that we be on God's side, for God is always right. So before you and I enter into the battle of life, or when you want to equip the next generation, generations, to manage life well, they need to develop a spiritual military strategy where we prepare well for what comes our way. Because once you and I have established priority, you begin with the Lord, all uppercase, then you are able to move in verses 3 and 4 to a question for the Lord because when you and I are facing the challenges of life and the battles of life, questions emerge. But David offers this question in a very sublime, wise, humble way. O oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? or the son of man that you think of him. R.C. Sproul wrote the book, The Hunger for Significance. J. Gratian Machen wrote a brilliant book, one of the best there are on the whole subject of the nature of man, of humanity. O oh Lord, David asks, what is man that you regard him? When a person is waiting, hopefully, for someone to come visit them in a nursing home, maybe in a hospital, 
there is this deep inward longing that someone values them. That our lives are filled with a hunger for significance. And one of the great dangers of life, and people in school understand this, when classmates uh, uh, go a different direction and don't draw them into the inner circles. One of the great dangers is the feeling of being disregarded. In the battle of life, one of the great dangers is to feel as though we've been disregarded. But what David is saying, I counter those feelings of disregardness with the overall understanding that God regards me. And I am utterly stunned as a sinful man standing before a holy God that he would continue to regard me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? And David is so overwhelmed with the way in which God approaches him. God respects the fact that David desires relationship with him. Uh, David, in fact, would in Psalm 2 Samuel 7 verse 18, when he's contemplating building a, a house for God, cries out, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And I would say that any time you're beginning to feel disregarded because perhaps it seems as though your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, go back to David's words. Here's a man in the battles of life still posing the significant question that has to do with the fact that he is overawed over the fact that God regards him when God does not owe him any regard. Or again in First Chronicles 29, 14, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this pertaining to the construction of matters of the temple? In Psalm 8, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? And now, once again, we're introduced to those very thoughts. So it comes together. He says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Pastors, and I'm so privileged, they are the most gifted group to be able to work with them. Um, we've done more than our share of funerals. And one thing that stands out to me is the brevity of life. And David is fully aware of that. But what we find is that in the Davidic strategy, the ultimate David went to the cross to die for our sins, three days later raised from the grave, and what we find is that the temporal finds itself now being addressed by the eternal. By all this temporal life that has been impacted by the sinfulness of humanity, 
is being addressed once and for all by the finished work of Jesus Christ, validated by God the Father three days later, raising Christ from the grave. You pull all that together, and now you've got your starting point, O Lord, you've got your question, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? And the moment you feel as though you've been disregarded, you take into account that Jesus done to die for your sins, and my goodness gracious, he regards you to the extent that he would send the second member of the Trinity to be the substitute for you, to be the substitute for me. What do you do with that? Well, the answer is you move from the first stanza to the second stanza of living. You move from the perspective we need to develop in verses 1 down through verse 4 and to, secondly, the requests we need to make. It's so often that we, we start our prayers with requests to God. What we find here, David puts first things first. And now, what astounds us is that the request is something different in the battle of life than what you and I might anticipate because the request comes out this way for you and me to ponder. He looks upward. He considers the power of God and God's imprint upon the entire creations as if he's saying, God can handle this. I can sleep tonight. Bow your heavens, O Lord. They are his heavens. And come down. Poetically and yet musically. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. It's as if he has been spending time investing moments in the book of Exodus, thinking about Mount Sinai and how God revealed his, his, his sovereign purposes. He continues. He's exploring the creation poetically at this point. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send your arrows, rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. But now, Notice the sequence here. And after this request, he then gets to this ultimate statement with regard to where he's at. Rescue me. He's put things in proper perspective. When people don't take into account the sinfulness of sin, the sovereignty of God and the sinfulness of humanity, but assume that God is basically a good old guy in the heavens who will just treat you well no matter what, and that man is basically good. They're in, a in for a rude awakening when we find ourselves that, in fact, this is not a playground. This is a battleground, and sin has impacted life physically, relationally, psychologically, ecologically. 
Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down, would be his exclamation point in verse 5. But now, what he then does for you and me is cries out, rescue me and deliver me in verse 7. And you see how he fits all that together. From the many waters, from the hand of foreigners. Foreigners. And so for the people, the Israelites returning from captivity, they had firsthand experience with, with what it means to feel dislodged from their homes. They would have to remember they have not been disregarded over 70 years of captivity. They have been continuously regarded, and God's got a plan of action. I love football. And I love a particular story about Peyton Manning. And coming out of Sports Illustrated, Peyton Manning practiced indirection. Going back to a particular Super Bowl game, he was the winning quarterback of a particular game that was a rainy night and the ball was slippery and Rex Grossman, the quarterback for the losing team, fumbled the ball again and again and again. But Peyton Manning never fumbled. Never. Why? A few weeks after the Super Bowl, a reporter went to Manning to interview him and discovered that every week during the year, Peyton Manning had his center. It's the one who snaps the ball. His name is Jeff Saturday. He had Jeff Saturday set, snap the football to him in water-soaked footballs. And he practiced handling wet footballs so that he would be ready in case it rains, even though his team played half of their games in a dome. Manning did what he could do, practice handling wet footballs over and over and over again to enable him to do what he could not without this form of preparation, to be able to function effectively in less than ideal situations. This is how you parent well. This is how you live well. You see, in the preparations of life, you put first things first. You start with the Lord, then get the self. You are saying to the sovereign one who controls the universe, rescue me. Once you've already established the fact that he regards me. Now then, rescue me. He regards me, therefore he rescues me. Do you see the sequence? It's brilliant. And so he's fitting it together for you, the perspective we need to develop out of verses 1 through 4 leads naturally then to the request we need to make verses 5 down through verse 8 as in verse 8 now the people returning from exile are having to nod their heads as they ponder this Davidic song whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood as they are, as they are leaving that culture behind them. You see. They're coming home. 
You're coming home. You're on to the third essential for developing a strong battle plan for living. The perspective we need to develop in one through four, the requests we need to make in five through eight. Now thirdly, the song we need to sing in verses nine through verse 11. And here in verse nine, I will sing a new song. Now you were singing with our worship team moments ago. And I was leaning forward, processing how this fits into what I was about to say. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heavens. Mercy seat. And as we sang that, I, my mind was racing. I am unaware of anywhere in the Bible where we're called to sing old songs. Our inertia is toward singing the stuff we already know. But to do something new, that requires energy, effort, learning. Three psalms start with precisely these words, sing to the Lord a new song. But what captures my attention furthermore is that when I get to the book of Revelation, where everything is coming together, worshipers in heaven are said to be singing a new song in Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. In Revelation 5, 9, the four living creatures and 24 elders, quote, sang a new song, unquote. And we ask, why? In the days of David, whenever victory was secured and achieved by military forces, a musician was commissioned to write a song proclaiming victory in honor of the victor. What David is now doing is saying that God is the victor. He has achieved. We are secured. In other words, with each new mercy comes a new song. New mercies lead to new songs. That's why then we don't want to just simply deal with old mercies. We want to deal with the question of what has God been doing lately? I will sing a new song to you, O God. And now you can picture David with his ten-stringed harp. I'll play to you, even though he was positioned in front of his nemesis, Saul. 
who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me, deliver me from the hand of foreigners. Second time that word is used again. And as they're returning from exile, whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. You've joined me. We're in Jerusalem. And I say to you, I know a place. We have to go there. We make our way to the room in which David is buried. It appears on the screen. And you look very carefully, and there to your left, it reads in Hebrew, King David's tomb. As I've shared before, I remember walking into that particular room. There was just one other person present, a Jewish young man, and he had his Hebrew Bible, his Torah before him, and as is typical in memorization, he was rocking back and forth, back and forth, a method that's used in, among rabbinic students for memorization purposes. And what was he meditating upon as I peered over his shoulder? David's songs. I will sing a new song to you, David says. O God, upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings. Now this begins to make sense. Why we're dealing with new songs is because we're dealing with new mercies. You don't have a stale God on your hands. He is directly involved in the ongoing battles of life. Okay, you're on to the final of the four stanzas and the final of the four essentials. Because after talking about the song we need to sing, we end with the future that we need to anticipate. He has us looking ahead. And now notice all the maze. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars, cut from the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. Can you imagine they are singing this as they are returning to a rather a desolate land because this land has been untilled for so many years and are returning from exile. But God has regarded them, even though society might be prone to disregard them. Our cattle be heavy with young suffering and mishap or failure and bearing? No. May there be no cry to distress in our streets. Now notice how he ends. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. How did he begin? With bless the Lord. How does he end? Bless the people. How did he begin? Bless the Lord. How does he end? The Lord. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Brilliant. He has just bookended for you the way in which you handle the battles of life. And you take these four essentials and you bless the Lord to the glory of God. Amen? Let's stand together. And so, Father, we thank you now. You are the author of the new song. 
New mercies lead to new songs. Once we've established that you regard us, then we can cry out for you to rescue us. First things first. We start with you. So we've got our military strategy before us. And we don't try to develop our, our military strategies in the midst of the battle. We develop them before the battle begins. An eternity past, you developed your battle plan when the second member of the Trinity was given the responsibility to enter into this world via Bethlehem to die on Calvary for our sins. But he's the victor. Three days later, raised from the grave. And Father, we give you all praise and all glory. I'm prepared. I'm ready, said Eisenhower. And if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are prepared as well. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.